Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? We have a, a really unique thing for you today. This is going to be a special treat for you. We've been looking forward to this day and this special service for a while. We are doing something we have never done before, and uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. Um, before I tell you what we're doing, though, how many of you took Mark up on his offer this last weekend um, to read the entire book of Galatians? Raise your hand. Good for you, good for you. Who did it in one sitting? Anybody do it in one sitting? Oh, Terry did it. That's good. I want to encourage you guys, if you have never read uh, Scripture in that way, reading large chunks of Scripture at a time, particularly whole books at a time, I heavily encourage you to do it. Um, we tend to read Scripture one verse at a time or one chapter at a time in small sections. And when you do that, it's really good because you notice the details. You get small pieces of the details of what's going on. But when you read big chunks of Scripture, you grasp those overall themes of Scripture. You you get the, the tone of the book, the, the general themes, the, the main thrusts of the book. And that's what you get when you read large chunks. So arguably you could say that the, the, the Bible is, is meant to be read in both small chunks and large chunks. Arguably you could even say that um, the Bible was intended more so to be read in large chunks of Scripture. So just as much as the Bible was meant to be read, the Bible was also meant to be heard. And that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to hear the Word of God. So we are beginning our study in the book of Galatians today. And so instead of doing a sermon with a pastor on stage, we're going to let the Word speak for itself. We're going to read through the entire book of Galatians today in our first ever reading service. So before I tell you how we're going to do that, I want to tell you why we're going to do that. Why have we as a church decided to read through an entire book of the Bible in, in front of church? Well, as I said, the Bible is is not only meant to be read, it's meant to be heard. We're actually given explicit commands of this in Scripture. Paul says at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The ESV version says it even more plainly. He says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read aloud to all the brothers. That's That's pretty clear. And if you think about it, that's makes the most sense because for most of history, most people did not have a printed Bible in their hands. The only way they could access the Word of God was through hearing the words spoken aloud in the church. So in Paul's letters, we are given explicit commands to read his letters out loud to a particular church which is addressed. But as time went on in his letters and as the church grew... He actually said, well, distribute these out to other churches. Have other churches read these letters. So we hear this in in Colossians 4.16. It says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So he's saying, distribute these letters. Have them read aloud to all the churches. So many of the New Testament letters were actually written as circular letters. Letters that were intended to be circulated through different churches in a region. So we have... Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and even Galatians were intended to be circular letters written to a variety of churches. The beginning of Galatians, it says, to the churches, plural, churches of Galatia. Now, this practice of reading scripture is not new to Paul and to the New Testament. In Israel, they would publicly read scripture in temple worship, in the synagogue, even at feast days, they would read read scripture. And Jesus even participated in this, in his public reading of scripture, when he opened up the scroll of Isaiah, read from it. And then, as we remember, he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
If that's not clear enough why we should read Scripture out loud, listen to this from Paul speaking to Timothy, one of his most beloved pastors of his most beloved churches. He says in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. So to answer the question of why this morning, why are we doing this service, why are we doing this unique thing we've never done before, one, we are doing this service because we want this church, we want you to see the continuity of Scripture. We want you to see Scripture as a, as a whole. We want you to see the big themes, the big points of Scripture, how it all ties in together. We also want you guys to, uh, we want to obey the Word of God when it says not to neglect the public reading of Scripture. We want to obey that command. We also want to do this because it models for the church, for us, the discipline of the public reading of the Word of God or the personal reading of the Word of God. But maybe most importantly, the reason why we're doing this is because the Word of God is powerful in and of itself. It is powerful alone. We're not doing a sermon today. We're just going to hear from the Word, and it will be powerful. I want to tell you a story. When I was at Cal Baptist, um, I was forced to go to chapels. Um, I enjoyed them. Not everybody did. Um, I only... I went to a lot, and I don't remember very many, but I do remember one particular series of chapels. It was with a famous pastor named David Platt. He came, and he gave a great message from the book of Nehemiah. Um, It's the story of Ezra standing um, at the temple with the whole assembly of Israel gathered around, and he began to read from the book of the law. So listen to this from Nehemiah. It says, and he read it, and this is Ezra, and he read it, facing from the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of all the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people and as he opened it all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Just from the public reading of Scripture. Now, David Platt's sermon was about how Scripture alone is sufficient to draw us into repentance and also to lead us into worship. That was his point of his message. But that's not the thing I remember most. The thing I remember most was actually the next chapel the next day. He came into the chapel. He had us open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and he began to read. And I was, I was looking down, we made it through Romans 1, and we started Romans 2, and I looked up at him, and I realized he wasn't reading. He was quoting from memory the entire book of Romans. It was really powerful to hear someone quoting it, but we went through, through full eight chapters, Romans 1 through 8, the book of Romans, out loud. Nothing else was said except for the book of Romans. Now, everybody had a different experience in that room. Some people began to weep as they heard the word. Some stood, raised their hands, some shouted, Amen, Amen. And, but universally, there was the same response, which is we all stood in awe of God through His Word. Each and every single one of us in that room stood in awe, not because David Platt was there, not because he delivered a great passage, but because he read the Word of God. And that's what we hope for you guys today as we read the Word of God, that you would stand in awe of your God in this moment. So, how we're going to do this is, Pastor, we're going to do one more song. If you are offering, Pastor Mark's going to come up just talk about some themes of the book of Galatians that we can be keeping our, our ears out for as we listen. Then we're going to read two chapters at a time, do a song, two more chapters, do a song, two more chapters, and 
We're going to finish together by corporately participating in communion as a church. So we have a really cool opportunity this morning to be able to just partake of the Word of God. And so hopefully, like the story of Nehemiah, I pray that we'd all be attentive to the Word of God, that our, our, our ears would be listening to what God would have to say through this book of Galatians, but more so that it would penetrate the deepest parts of our soul so that we can stand in awe, come to repentance, and glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray for our offering, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for your word. It stands alone. As your very word spoken to us of how you came to save, Lord, we are so grateful that we get to just sit underneath your word. Thank you that this church loves your word, Lord, and I just pray that as we hear it, that you would penetrate to the depths of our soul, that we would come to see you as a great God and Savior who loves us so very much. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. And it's good to be with you. Before I do my little part, I want to tell a funny story from last week because I, I like funny stories. And I like telling funny stories. So last week we finished uh, the book of Mark. We were in Mark chapter 16. And if you remember, we read through all 20 verses, verses 1 through 20. And when I got done reading, I said, before I proceed, I, I feel compelled to address the brackets. So there was brackets from 9 through 20. Well, in the 9 o'clock service, Josh and Allie Brackett were sitting over here. So when I said, I need to address the Brackets first, they looked at each other like, what did we do? <laughs> Is that funny? I think that's a funny story. Yeah, and then, when, of course, when I proceeded to address the Brackets of Scripture, then they realized they were okay. But I told them that they might need to change their last name because <laughs> I may make that mistake another time. Before I proceed as well, I want to thank the six people that are going to be reading our six chapters of Galatians. Um, chapters 1 and 2, thank you, Daniel, Luke, and Christina Lang. Chapters 3 and 4, thank you, Jeff Shimkus and Zach Miller. And chapters 5 and 6, thank you, Amy Thompson and Angela Polk. Really excited. And I want to thank the band, uh, the worship team that's going to be up here during this uh, whole 70 minutes. Um, thank you for uh, leading us the way that you guys have so far and will continue to do so. Consider this, church. You know that I am the husband to my wife, Terry, and the father of two daughters, Chelsea and Joni. I'm not certain whether I can articulate the responsibility that I feel in my role um, to all three of my girls, my wife and my two girls, to protect them, to provide for them, to pray for them, 
and to sacrifice and serve them because I love them and I am deeply concerned about their well-being. That would make sense, right? As a dad and as a husband. If anyone or anything became a threat to their well-being, I am committed to go to great lengths in order to neutralize that threat. Don't mess with my girls. And this is, this is what's taken place in the book of Galatians. Paul writes this letter to combat or to oppose Judaizers who are telling uh, Christians, telling believers throughout the churches uh, in Galatia that they must first be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And so Paul defends the gospel, emphasizing that salvation is a gift from God. And it comes through faith in Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and not from human works. Jesus Christ is indeed the perfect sacrifice for our sins. To add anything to that will only discredit the work and the name of Jesus. May it never be. We have an expression in our language that says or goes something like this, what hill are you willing to die on? In other words, what are the non-negotiables in your life, those things that you would sacrifice anything and everything for? And this is the essence, uh, the essence of the gospel message, that salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that was a non-negotiable for Paul, and it's a non-negotiable for our Lord. It was a hill that Paul was willing to die on in order to defend. And for this great truth, Paul would never compromise And so here's the reality of this letter. Paul's furious. Paul's mad. And he's ready for a fight. And you'll hear that when we read Scripture. I think when Jeff Shimkus reads, he starts off chapter 3. Listen for that when we start off chapter 3, when Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Those aren't kind words. Those are harsh words. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He fires, Paul fires off this passionate letter, this, his passionate plea to the Galatians so that they would not give up their precious freedom found only in Christ by returning to slavery, to sin, and legalism. True freedom comes from living by the power of the Spirit of our God that was poured out to us on the day of Pentecost. From a very practical viewpoint, when anyone comes to salvation through the blood of Christ, the enemy wants to create doubt. As the enemy did in the early chapters of Genesis, he's always tempting us with these words. Did God really say? This letter to the Galatians is not just about the Judaizers and the Galatian churches. It's about defending the truth of God's Word. A truth that we see being challenged at great lengths in our world today, don't we? The truth of the Word of God has been under attack since the creation. The key verse, which is in your bulletins, or on the the front of your bulletins, is Galatians 3.11. The righteous man, the righteous woman, shall live by faith. John MacArthur says this about the book of Galatians. He writes, The book of Galatians has been conferred with such titles as the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty, the battle cry of the Reformation, and the Christian's declaration of independence. 
It is clearly the Holy Spirit's charter of spiritual freedom for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Can I get an amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus the Christ, our Messiah. We are mindful and grateful to know that what Jesus, our Messiah, did on the cross is completely sufficient to restore our righteous standing before you. As we now read through this epistle to the Galatians, I pray that you would indeed cause us to hear exactly what you intended for the church to hear. We pray all of this in the mighty and all-sufficient name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from his present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly, quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an, are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have been preaching to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching a, to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of, li of life in Judaism how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous of my ancient ancestral traditions. But when God, who has set me apart even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they're glorifying God because of me. Then after an interval of fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running, or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, 
who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. While those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly.
foolish Galatians who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has come to tutor. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you for the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my body, bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that if possible you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it's good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I wish I could be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than the, than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Deliverance from 
for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load 
The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the word has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen.